Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. The title of this podcast is Quit Being Afraid of What Other People Think. Quit Being Afraid of What Other People Think. I'm going to share with you today the first episode of a new podcast that we are releasing at Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, our launch. And it's really Jerry, my wife's first season of her new Emotionally Healthy Woman podcast. Jerry, for those of you who know her, she's an incredible person. In fact, if not for her, her integrity, her differentiation, her life in God, uh, we would not be here today. There wouldn't be a EH Leader podcast. There wouldn't even be. There would not even be EH Discipleship. Uh, you know, I live with her. She is the real deal. And for years, people have asked Jerry uh, to do all kinds of things, such as please do a podcast. Uh, but finally, she sensed God nudging her to do so, and we are thrilled. So today, uh, we're going to share with you the first episode of season one, and it's called Quipping Afraid of What Others Think. And so beginning this week, uh, there will be a release of an episode a week over the next eight weeks for season one uh, on the Emotionally Healthy Woman podcast. And you'll notice it's an interview format with her uh, outstanding host, Kathy Bruce, And so if you want to hear the rest, you want to go to Emotionally Healthy Woman podcast, please recommend it to your friends, your neighbors, your church uh, fellow uh, folks. Uh, I think you'll find it very helpful. So actually, as you listen today, uh, this message is not just for women, it's for men, it's for everybody. All of us need to quit being afraid of what other people think. And so at the end of the podcast, uh, they will mention a new free resource that we're making available as of today. And I want to mention it here. It's uh, the community temperature reading. It's discover your God-given voice and build healthy relationships with others. Uh, It's the first skill of the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course and a a new way to assert yourself, have transformative conversations. Uh, It comes with a handout and videos. So just check it out at emotionallyhealthy.org slash community. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash community. So you're in for a great treat this week with Jerry on quit being afraid of what others think. Let's join them together now. Enjoy. Well, hi, and welcome to the Emotionally Healthy Woman podcast. I am your co-host, Kathy Bruce, and this podcast features a series of my conversations with author Jerry Scazzaro based on her book, The Emotionally Healthy Woman. And over the course of this season, we are going to explore eight principles designed to help women quit unhealthy spirituality and take that step into the life God intended. And we are so glad you have joined us. And to start us off, I want to give you a quick overview of the eight principles that we will be exploring in this podcast. So this week, we will be talking about quit being afraid of what others think, Next week, we will cover quit lying, then quit dying to the wrong things, quit denying anger, sadness, and fear, quit blaming, quit over-functioning, quit faulty thinking, and lastly, quit living someone else's life. So I want to jump into this great topic today of quit being afraid of what others think. But first, I need to welcome and introduce Jerry Scazzaro. Hi, Jerry, and welcome to the podcast. First of all, I have to say how impressed I am, Kathy, that you pronounce Scazzaro so beautifully. (laughs) 
hopefully. <laughs> it's, it's usually, uh, it's not always an easy name to know how to pronounce just from looking at it. And you said it several times beautifully. Great. Beautiful. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm really glad to be here and begin to share uh, because Emotionally Healthy Discipleship has, I mean, changed our lives dramatically and now has really dramatically changed many people's and many churches' um, lives around the world. Mm. But uh, it was birthed out of pain and confusion, really. Uh, we were, had been in ministry. We moved to New York City to plant a church. And uh, early on, those first seven years were very, very difficult. Um, I was, I grew increasingly tired, exhausted, stressed. It seemed like we, we and staff were continually maxed out. Seemed like there were always ongoing conflicts and crises. And I kept thinking, when is this going to end? And ultimately I just grew increasingly miserable. Mm. But it, but I did not want to admit my misery because I believed subconsciously anyway, somewhere in there, that good, loving, mature Christians shouldn't be miserable. <laughs> I, put on, I put on a pretty good face. Um, and um, although I was leaking, of course, all the time. So after seven years, I was miserable enough to finally say I quit and I don't want to do this anymore. But actually, I quit our church, not the church. Mm. I actually quit the church my husband was pastoring and said, this church no longer gives me life anymore. It gives me death. I'm going to another church. And I did. I started going to another church. Wow. And that is what got my husband's attention. <laughs> I think that would get any pastor's attention. <laughs> exactly. And so we actually, that led us to get help that we desperately needed to kind of figure things out. When I say figure things out, it meant how can we fix everybody else around us? How can we fix the church? How can we fix New York City? How can we even fix our kids? And, and actually, Pete wanted to fix me. So anyway, we went away and we got some help from some very wise mentors. But the biggest surprise and the biggest revelation, both painful and eventually liberating, was that the problems weren't out there. They weren't outside of us. They weren't other people. They weren't New York City. They weren't even the church. The problems were inside of Pete and I. Mm. And this was such a jolt because we had had up to that point, the best discipleship there really was to be had in terms of uh, evangelical tradition. And along with that, we had actually sacrificed quite a bit to be where we were. And so to realize that after all these years of the discipleship we had and the sacrifices we made, that we were missing critical components of discipleship that almost caused not only our own destruction, but as leaders could have been the destruction of those that were we were leading. And so it was very painful. And so it ha I was so rocked by this revelation that how could I have allowed this kind of nonsense, you know, to have gone on in my life for so long that I had to do some serious reflection on uh, what were the problems inside me that I wasn't seeing? 
And so I sat down and began to pen uh, out of this reflection things that I really, I saw as the problem that I needed to quit. The things Mm. inside of me that I needed to quit. And then this would become a book, which was originally called I Quit. Right. I wanted to ask you about that because many don't know that that was the original name of the book. It wasn't Emotionally Healthy Woman. It was I Quit. And so what... What led you to call the book this? I mean, you you indicated that you you started realizing there were things in your life you needed to quit. But I, I'm curious as well. What was the what was people's response to this book as it relates to becoming a healthy Christian? I think for those that recognized they were that things were desperately wrong, especially leaders or leader mm. spouses. When people recognized, they were already recognizing things something's wrong here in my life or in the system or in my church. Uh, Or they were, they were ready to stop. They were becoming aware and ready to stop pretending everything was fine when it wasn't. Mm. The idea of quitting was very, it just captured them. It Mm. said, yes, there's something not right here. And so it really caught their attention. Now I'm sure for others, it could have been threatening. Because the idea of quitting means it's it, it feels like the antithesis of Christianity and perseverance. I'm I'm giving up. I'm not loving. Like, and yet that's not true. Uh, there's many things we need to quit. And remember, quitting always has a flip side. Right. You're not just leaving a void when you quit, which I think is what other what most people might think that are threatened by that word or that concept. Quitting. Healthy quitting is always accompanied by healthy choosing, choosing to do something different, Mm. something true, something better. Right. You're quitting and you're, but you're also choosing to do something different at the same time. Right. And I think quitting also opens you up to other things, to the ability to choose other things or other directions. So there's a freeing in that. Well, we're going to jump right in now to our, our first, this first chapter, which, which is the first I quit. And this, this chapter, (laughs) for those of you who have read the book, for those of you who haven't read the book, and we hope that you will, this first chapter is called quit being afraid of what other people what others think. Quit being afraid of what others think. And so this is directly tied to our sense of image, identity. And you talk in the book about our okayness, our, which is, is you, you describe as our lovability, our sense of being good enough and how this can't come from other people. Our okayness can't come from other people, but how we are made in God's image and have this new identity in Christ. And, and you say in the book, there is nothing left to prove. <laughs> that, that really struck me when I was rereading this. There is nothing left to prove. And yet we see so many leaders struggle with this truth. So I'm wondering how and when did you start to see a radical shift in your own okayness? When I became aware of why it took me seven years to leave the nonsense, the chaos, the the ongoing crisis, um, to quit pretending everything was fine when it wasn't, to acknowledge my misery, it took me a lot. It took me almost seven years, and I was like, I've got to think about why. Why did it take me so long? And the bottom line was that I 
was afraid of how other people would perceive me. They wouldn't perceive me as spiritual or loving or strong. And now that rocked me because why was I, I was now admitting that I was really caught up in what other people thought of me. But intellectually, I was supposed to be living and motivated out of God's love for me. So I now had this dichotomy going on. Wait a minute. This is what I believe, but when the rubber hits the road, I'm not really living out of the love of God. I'm really living out of what you think about me. I mean, mm-hmm. that until you until you begin to practically be, uh, you become aware of that and test that in your life, you, it's very easy to not be aware. So what changed for me was when I became aware that I really wasn't living out of the gospel. The gospel wasn't, I wasn't anchored in it the way I thought I was. My identity wasn't really coming from what God thought of me. It was really coming from what you thought of me. And that so many of my actions and reactions and behaviors and decisions were based on more of people's, you know, what I thought they might think of me. So for me, a radical shift happened when I decided that, I need to start being honest in every conversation. I realized a lot of times in conversations, I'm shifting what I'm saying or thinking or doing based on wanting to be perceived a certain way by that person. And so I remember actually having a conversation with God and saying, okay, God, I'm going to test to see if your love is can really save me. I mean, can I really live out of this love and not the fear of what others think? And so tomorrow, God, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be honest in every conversation because I become aware of one of the main ways that my fear of what others thought of me showed up in my interactions with people, mm. showed up in my yes or my no's, in whether I spoke up, when I disagreed with people um, or whether I was silent and afraid to speak up. So I can remember becoming saying, I'm going to now in this conversation, say what I really think and what I really feel. And I can remember even till this day, physiologically, how that felt in my body. Well, was it terrifying? It was terrifying. (laughs) I mean, as you're describing this, it sounds absolutely terrifying. (laughs) It's terrifying because I had, I mean, it's terrifying to leave what is so familiar in every cell of your body. Mm. Yeah. Would you say it's habitual too? I mean, it seems like to me when I think about this idea of quitting thinking what other people think and how we alter things that we say in our own truth, it becomes habitual. We we become so, it just becomes habit that we don't speak our truth. Sure. Absolutely. It takes, it takes developing new habits, new skills, new ways of being, new awareness. So I'm in my, say I'm in my first conversation and I'm, I can feel my body, you know, becoming physically anxious about saying what I really think and what I really feel, but I do it. And the greatest marvel to me is I didn't die. I I didn't die because that is the ultimate Mm. fear of losing lovability. Mm. If I'm not lovable, I'm bad. And if I'm bad, 
Like I, it's just, it's like, as we're, it's, it's losing love. If you're bad, then you're going to lose others love. And if you lose other love, you're going to die. Mm. So it, it's ultimately, you know, a fear if you follow the thread of death. So I didn't die. I was, oh, but because I had been, you know, learning to internalize my own inherent goodness and worth from God's love, I had the courage to be honest in the conversations now and lean back on that. Okay. I realized ultimately, 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 it's not what this other person uh, it's not what they think of me that is ultimately important. It is what God thinks of me and what I think of me right. is what is ultimately important. Right. And, and so a radical shift happened when I began to be um, present in my interactions and ask myself, am I now speaking in a way to avoid this person's disapproval or to get their approval? I became very conscious of that so that I could stay rooted in my inherent value and worth from God and not have to borrow it from this person in front of me. Mm. Now, when you started this shifting of changing these habits and speaking what you really thought, do you remember what some of the responses were? Like you, you, you said you didn't die. <laughs> Just good. Um, that's encouraging to our listeners um, and to me. But like, when you do, you remember some of those? So I'm just thinking of of, of the the learning theory uh, quadrants and thinking of positive reinforcement, right? And so we often repeat behaviors when they're positively reinforced. So did you get some positive responses to you speaking truth that helped you to increase taking that risk of continuing to speak your truth? Here's the thing. Okay. Cause again, to talking about the church or any, you know, I'm talking about, let's, let's give the church, let's give it as an example. The church is a system. Mm. And so Pete and I, as leaders of the church had created us, we had, we had cre- created a system that we basically, everybody was nice, but not always telling the truth. Right. And so uh, and everybody participated in it because most people are comfortable with uh, being nice, but not always being truthful. And they're mm. two different things. I mean, and actually nice when you're when you're nice and you're not truthful, it's really not nice. Mm. But you know, we've all we've all participated in it. So, Kathy, it was so funny because here was the re- that's such a great question because the reactions were. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh. Like people were not used to me right. being frank or being, I, I was respectful. I, I had learned, you can't just, I'm not blurting things out. I'm not being disrespectful, but even just say, well, gee, I don't, I, I'm now saying, you know, I, I don't feel that. So I don't feel that way. I don't feel that same way. People are used to being agreed with. Mm. People are used to having their false narratives um, enforced. Reinforce. And so now I, with every honest conversation, I'm changing, I'm disrupting the system. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not just you. It's not just you getting responses back to help you, but you're, you're also almost like opening this gateway 
for others to realize they have nothing to prove to anybody right. else, but God. And, and that is where their, their identity comes from. And they don't, they can be truthful. And that's where it ultimately led. But all they knew at the moment was, wow, she is being honest. And that, you know what that did? It led to a rippling effect throughout our church, first with staff and elders, and then others, leaders, that they now had permission to be honest. We were now giving them permission to be honest. And of course we had, you know, we had to teach people, yeah, the importance of being honest and how to do, how to, you know, how to be honest, respect. Right. right. Taking into consideration the, the feelings of others and et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But, well, but I, I love, I'm so, I, love, I will never forget people going, <laughs> oh, that's a great response. Well, I love you give in this chapter so many great examples of how subtle and pervasive this need for people's approval is. And, and I, I think you're right. It's, it's so subtle sometimes because we're just so used to doing it. And my, one of my favorites is when you, you talk about um, going, the, going along with friends to a movie and everyone wants to go see one movie and, and the person doesn't want to, but they don't speak up right? They just go. And so I was thinking about this and, and thinking that, you know, many might say, well, Jerry, I'm just, you know, I'm just being loving towards other people by sacrificing my own needs. So, you know, even though I want, I don't want to go to that movie, I'm, I'm sacrificing. Isn't that what Jesus would do? Like, wouldn't Jesus give up, you know, how, how would you respond to, to someone who might, might say that? I would say that that is a big onion that needs to be peeled. Mm. So for example, why are you going along? Are you going, it really needs, you need to reflect on your heart deeply. Am I going along because uh, I joyfully want to give this person the gift? It's not my preference of a movie, but I'm happy to, to just love them and please them in this way. Maybe, usually not though. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but, um, uh, or am I going along because I want, I'm worried about their reaction if I don't go along? Mm. Or am I going along because I want them to perceive me as a really nice, easygoing person who goes along, even though on the inside I'm stewing and resentful? So, it all depends what it all depends on why you did what you did. So the motivation, it's the motivation, mm. the mo everything. In, in, uh, I love the phrase uh, from David Benner in Christianity. Motivation is everything. Mm. That is so, so true. And so I guess what you would say then if I can, if I can tease this out a little bit more, I mean, is where do where do you draw the line of self sacrifice? I guess if it, if it is your motivation, right, that I do want to sacrifice this out of love, um, that that's very different, is what you're saying from from the motivation of saying, okay, well, I'm going to make this sacrifice because as a good Christian, like this is what I should do. Right. But yet on the inside, not be, not be loving about it. Correct. 
a lot of people need to know and they don't know they have choices. Mm. They've not been raised with choices, like, or the gift of choices, you know, and that's why even raising children, it's so important. Every developmental stage, do you, you know, do you want this or that? Do you want to wear this or that? Do you want to play this or that? Do you? And so many of us come into adulthood thinking that we just do have to go along with whatever the squeakiest wheel, the strongest person, bully I don't who whatever it is but so choice is really important but I would save that for the chapter on quit dying to the wrong things we're going to cover that in that right. we're going to really unpack that right it's really 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 important self-care for what is selfishness what isn't it etc cetera, etc cetera. right yeah I mean and it, one of the things I love about this book is how the chapters all tie together I mean they're all so syn- synchronized and and tie together so well. Well, I, 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 there's so little time we have to unpack this idea of, um, you know, people's uh, seeking people's approval. I mean, that that's at the, at the end of the day, this, this idea of seeking people's approval and, um, not really understanding that this idea that we do have nothing to prove in God's eyes. Right. And so I want to kind of just finish with some, some application, because I think this is one of the other things I love about this book is that you, at the end of every chapter, there's, there's a very practical section of how to apply these things. And again, it's going to look different in everyone's life. As you mentioned, there's lots of, of the onion to unpeel, right? But I would love to just spend a few moments looking at these two pieces, which I think are really important that you mentioned, um, reflecting on the movement of your heart and reflecting on the love of God as a way to enter into this journey um, to, to really quit being afraid of what other people think is that this is partly how we start this journey. And I, I was thinking about this, you know, if I think about both things, often I've, I've gotten pretty good. I, you know, I've, I've of course been through a lot of the EH discipleship tools myself, which have been tremendously helpful, especially in the reflecting on the movement of my own heart and being able to spend time with God to do that. But I I have to say as a leader and a pastor, sometimes reflecting on the love of God is the hardest thing for me to do Mm -hmm. because I'm so busy taking care of everyone else Um, you know, I'm tending to, tending to my emotions, tending to how my heart is moving, but sometimes it's just the sheer not feeling lovable, right. Or not feeling like I'm doing, doing enough, feeling like I have something to prove. Mm -hmm. And that, that I find sometimes is the hardest piece for me, um, depending on the season that I'm in. And I would love if you could maybe share a couple of examples of how you've practically applied these two concepts um, in your own life. Sure. Well, and and again, and also just want to say to our listeners, we're going to be unpacking this theme throughout the book. I mean, this idea of having your identity anchored in the love of God, I'm going to unpack it in the whole book. Very, very, that's what the book is. It's a practical application of that uh, I get my okayness from God. And I literally had to live out of that. Not, it's not just, I maybe know it in my head. It's not, knowing it in your head is not knowing it. 
knowing it in your being and living it, experiencing it is knowing it. So um, I'm, I'm excited because each of these chapters, like for example, reflecting on the love of God, Kathy is going to come out hugely in quit dying to the wrong things and mm-hmm. how to nurture our, our spirits. Mm-hmm. And um, so, but, and it's not, can I, can I, can I ask this? Would you, would you agree? It's not a one and done. Absolutely not. I mean, this is, this is, I find is the challenge is that, you know, we don't ever arrive at this. It's, it's uh, really experiencing God's love is, is an ongoing journey. And a deepening one. It's a deepening one. So you definitely mature and deepen. And I'm not in the same place I was, you know, 20, 15, five, three years ago. And hopefully I won't be in the same place five years from now, even one year from now, it's ongoing transformation. But yes, every day I am very aware that I need to be, um, you know, quitting these things and, and choosing truth, life, love. But yeah, I mean, one example, right, very fresh example for me right now, in terms of not being afraid of whether sink, I am planning an online Zoom baby shower for my daughter who lives in Australia. And Uh, A month ago, I and my uh, other adult daughters had planned this whole shower. It was great. We all had our pieces. And then things happened this past month for them to have to back out. Basically, it's me. I'm I'm now the shower coordinator. (laughs) And so I noticed this last week as I have to shift and reimagine this shower, I've had anxiety. Mm -hmm. I said to myself, where's this anxiety coming from? And I realized it's partly, um, and I have to, again, tease this apart because what part of it's certainly my own perfectionism. I can be, I can definitely be a perfectionist and want this thing, you know, perfect. The other part of me, I realized, wow, I, there was this part of me that was afraid of what others would think if it's not great, it's not a mm. great power. And I just really had a chuckle to myself to go, yeah, you never outgrow this. <laughs> um, but I certainly am so grateful for my awareness of Mm. what's going on inside of me so that I can make the shifts of, I want to enjoy this shower as much as everybody else. Right. So I have to address my perfectionism and I have to address not being, you know, where my, my value is not coming from what other people think of me. And I, I want to make it a wonderful experience here, everybody, but I have to be careful not to cross that line and to rest, to go back and rest in his love because I have nothing left to prove. Mm, that's such a wonderful example. I bet you never in a million years thought you'd be doing a Zoom shower. <laughs> you know, on face value, it looks easy, but it's not, well, it has so many, because I'm making a comment, we have so many moving parts. Right. So many moving parts because we want our daughter. My want my my daughter really wants to connect. You know, it's hard to connect with thirty people online, so we right. have to you know, breakout rooms and what are they doing in the breakout? All that. So yeah, uh, but I'm looking forward to doing it in a way that's really, if you want to say, spiritual and 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 healthy. That it's it's honoring to me to everyone uh, who's coming and uh, yes, love it, love it, love it. Well, we wish you well in that shower preparation. Thank you. And that God will continue to remind you that there's nothing to prove. Amen. 
Well, thank you again for listening to this first episode in season one of the Emotionally Healthy Woman podcast. And as a thank you for listening, we actually want to leave you with a free resource called the CTR which stands for Community Temperature Reading. This is a wonderful emotional and spiritual health inventory that you can take for free by visiting emotionallyhealthy.org slash community. I'll say that again, www.emotionallyhealthy.org slash community. And we hope that you'll be able to take advantage of that free resource. And we also hope that you will tune in next time to the Emotionally Healthy Woman podcast. Thanks so much for joining us.